Thank you all, and you may be seated. Thank you very much, and thank you, Wes. You all realize in, in, we're less than two weeks away from Thanksgiving? I'm curious, how many of y'all on Thanksgiving weekend are going to get your Christmas decorations out and put your decorations up on Thanksgiving weekend? Let me, let me see your hands. Okay, you know, there's, that's not as many as I thought there would be. What, is, what are the rest of you procrastinating about? You, you don't know where they are. Oh, is that what's going on? You have to go find them? It's hard to believe Christmas just around the corner. You know, we are in the, today is the last Sunday in the series that Max started a number of weeks ago called Keep Calm and Family On. And today we're going to venture into the extended family and we're going to talk about how we can keep our in-laws from becoming our outlaws. And so, but before we get there, hot topic, before we get there, let's pray together. Lord God, Father, as I come before you now, I come in the incredible, awesome, precious name of Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, thank you for Jesus who took away all of my sin, all of our sin, the sins of the world. Thank you, God, for drawing us to you and to Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, thank you for the privilege you've given us to open up your word and see what your word says about some of the most difficult relationships in our lives. And Father, I just ask you that you would open up our minds to connect with your word. And, and Lord, too, and then even more, God, that you would open up our minds to, to yield to you and submit to your word and apply your word. God, I ask you that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege you've given me to teach your word. God, now fill me with your Holy Spirit. And don't let anything in me get in the way of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That picture up there, that's a picture of my grandparents' house in Flatonia, Texas. At least it was a picture of their house until it burned down. But all of my Christmases and Thanksgivings really up until I was in high school, are tied to that house. Because every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, our family and my dad's family and my mom's family, we would gather at that house. And as I think back at all of those Christmases and Thanksgiving, I cannot think of any kind of tension or strife. Everything was harmony. But, you know, since then, I've realized that my case, my family, my extended family... That's not like everybody else's families. There's a lot of families that don't have that kind of harmony, especially around the holidays. You know, we as a culture, we have two or maybe three big feasts, let's call them feasts, a year. We have Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then usually as families we may have one other during the year. Israel had six feasts a year, and all of their feasts were held in Jerusalem. Now, when, when the families in Israel, whenever they went to Jerusalem to celebrate one of these feasts, singing on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem was a part of the pilgrimage. Now, in just a moment, we're going to look at a psalm that was one of those songs that the, all of the families of Israel would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And this particular song is one that they would sing actually as they climbed the hill leading up to Jerusalem where they were going to celebrate the feast. So Psalm chapter 133, it says, 
how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's beard, that ran down his beard. Excuse me, poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard. And onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. This whole song is about family harmony. It's kind of like the Jewish version of the Von Trapp family. You know, they're, they're singing on their way up the hill as they go up to Jerusalem. You can just see this. Now, as I look back through the Old Testament, the families of Israel, they had just as much tension and strife going on in them as we do. But yet, according to Psalm 133, that was not God's intent. God's intent was that there actually be harmony in a family, especially when it came time for the feast. So I guess that would apply to the Jewish feast in Jerusalem, but I guess it would also then apply to our feast when we're climbing the steps to grandmother's house. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know, I have read that passage in hundreds of wedding ceremonies. But reading that passage in a wedding ceremony is a whole lot different than putting it into practice. And you know, one of the things that makes this passage so difficult is that the bride's and the groom's parents don't go away. And then there's another verse that complicates things even further, and that's in the commandments, Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, this is the fifth commandment. You know the Ten Commandments? This is number five. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long, full life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, how does that work? How do the leavers and the cleavers focus on their new family and at the same time, honor the parents that they just left. And then the parents, how are the parents, you know, the ones that are left, how are they supposed to relate to their kids without getting in the way of, their, of this putting together this new family? And then on top of that, Psalm 133, the, one, the psalm we just read a while ago, that indicates we're supposed to be able to do all of this, leaving and cleaving and honoring while we're singing our way up the steps to grandmother's house. How are we supposed to do all of that? So let's look at it again. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, the image here, if you can imagine this, okay, so here's one family over here. They're singing their way up the hill to Jerusalem. Okay, here's another family over here, and they're singing their way up the hill to Jerusalem. And so while they're both, these two families are singing their way up their hill to Jerusalem, there's a girl in this family, and there's a boy in this family, and they happen to notice each other. And there's this magnetic attraction. And all of a sudden, instead of thinking about the family that they're singing with, they're thinking about 
whoa, you know who? And so they're drawn to each other until pow! There's this, they're glued in this whole brand new relationship. Now, according to Genesis chapter 2, this new relationship is the permanent relationship. The one that they just left between the parents and the children, that was temporary. So the parent-child relationship is temporary. The husband-wife relationship, that's the permanent one. So if we're going to, to have family harmony, then the first thing, obviously the first thing we need to do is start right here in the beginning with Genesis chapter 2 and promote the permanent now, I want to focus first on the parents, the people who are left behind. We're going to get to the leavers and the cleavers here in a minute when we get to the honor part. For right now, let's talk about those who are left. Now, I'm one of the guys that was left. Okay, so I'm still trying to figure this out. So understand, this is not the final word on this, but I'm trying to figure this out. So here's what I figured out so far. Three quick bullet points. First, if I'm going to promote the permanent, then I need to respect the privacy, the boundaries, and the decisions of this new couple. And that also means that when there are disappointments and when my expectations are not being met and all of that happens, then I need to take my disappointments and my unmet expectations and sometimes even my fears. And I need to take those and leave them with God. Because as the one who's left, I need to promote the permanent. Second bullet point, plant peace. Proverbs chapter 15 says, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So when there's conflict in this new family, my role as the parent who was left is to plant peace in the midst of this conflict. Not to stir up more anger, but to calm the anger, and especially if I get pulled into this conflict, never, ever, 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 ever should I take the side of my son or daughter unless it's to help their spouse see it through their eyes. If I'm going to plant peace in this, I'm going to grab both of them and I'm going to try to pull them together by helping each one of them see this conflict through the other person's eyes. So plant peace. That's the second bullet point. Third bullet point. Provide encouragement when it's needed, advice when it's asked for, and help when it's requested. Remember, used to when our parents used to visit Patsy and I, we didn't have any money when we were first married. In fact, we didn't have any money even after we started having kids. And so, so they would come and visit us for two or three days. And, and I remember the first day that they ever, when they ever got there, the first thing they did, mom would take Patsy grocery shopping. And they would go out and buy all the groceries that were going to be needed for that stay while they were staying with us. You know, I was thinking about that. That, that, that they weren't undermining my role to provide for my family. No, they, they were actually helping me do it. In fact, it's kind of like the 250-pound fullback that gets behind his 190-pound quarterback and pushes him across the goal line in a goal line stand. Excuse me, in a goal line, you know, quarterback's knee. That's what they were doing. They were helping me fulfill it. I needed help, and they gave it. So that's the promoting the permanent. Everybody gets to promote the permanent. But then what about the honoring part? Let's look at Deuteronomy 5.16 again. That honoring part. It says, it says, honor 
your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long, full life in the land your, the Lord your God is giving you. Now, this is, re this is difficult, especially if you have deeply flawed parents. Now, because some people with deeply flawed parents, it's hard to find anything that's even remotely honorable. But I want you to look again at this. Therefore, excuse me, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Notice the cause and effect relationship. And Ephesians chapter 6 points out this is the only commandment of the ten in which there's a cause and effect relationship like this. If you honor your father and your mother, God says it will impact your, your quality of life. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I wonder if that also works with parents and in-laws. For instance, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his in-laws to be at peace with him. You know, some of you, have very overbearing and intrusive parents or in-laws. May, may not even be or, maybe both in. What if God is waiting for you to get this right before he deals with your in-laws? What if God is waiting for you to get this fifth commandment right? So that then he can give you a full and profitable life in the place where you're living. You say, oh, God wouldn't do that. Oh, wouldn't he? Now, let's think about this. Think about all of the commands and the directives in the Bible for the leavers and the cleavers. Now, think about all the commands and the directives in the Bible for those who have been left. So, what are you talking about? Okay, here, let's go. Go through the Bible. Let's think about it. There's all kinds of commands and directives for husbands about how to be a good husband. That's one of the levers, you know, the lever and the cleavers. And there's all kinds of commands and directives in the Bible for wives about how to be a good wife. There's all kinds of commands and directives in the Bible about parents, how to be good parents. There's all kinds of commands and directives in the Bible about children and how they should honor to be good children by honoring their parents. But for the life of me, I can't think of a single command or directive in the Bible that tells a mother-in-law how to be a good mother-in-law. And I can't think of but one command, and actually it's not even a command, but even one place in the Bible where it tells a grandparent how to be a good grandparent. And that's in Proverbs where it says a good grandparent is going to leave an inheritance to his grandchildren. That's it. All of the commands are directed at the leavers and the cleavers, not as those who are left behind. Well, could it be that that's because it's the leavers and the cleavers who are the principal players if there's going to be harmony and extended family? Just think about that. Now, let's look at this honor your father and your mother part. This is not a club to be used on rebellious children. In fact, it wasn't even given to children. It was given to adults. Honor your father and your mother. 
It doesn't mean giving in to the demands of an overbearing, intrusive parent or, or an in-law. It's not giving them control. It has nothing to do with placing yourself in harm's way. And it doesn't mean that you treat their needs as more important than the needs of your spouse or your kids. The word honor there, the Hebrew word for honor, is a word that literally means to weigh heavy. That doesn't mean tell your mother-in-law she's a heavyweight. That's not what it means. But it does mean to weigh heavy. It has to do with values. You go in the supermarket and you pick up eight apples and you put them on the little scale. And then it rings it, you, you see what, it, what the weight is, and then you take, the, you take four apples off and, and you put them on the side and see what the four apples weigh, and you see that the eight apples weighs more than the four apples. And so you decide, okay, I think I want the eight apples. So you put the four apples back on, you press the little print button, and out comes the little tag that tells you how much those eight apples are worth. Now, eight apples are worth more than the four, four apples because the eight apples weigh more than the four apples. That's what it means to weigh heavy. So everyone is supposed to value the permanent. But if your parents are still living, then your role is to value the temporary. In other words, you get to assign the value to your parents. You get to decide if your parents are worth eight apples or four apples. Now, best case scenario is that you assign them a value that is consistent with all that they've invested in your life. But sometimes that's not going to work because you have parents, they're not even worth a rotten apple. If that's the case, then you at least assign them a value which is consistent with them being God's partners in creating you. So then you honor their, you value their position. Now, how do you do that? Let me give you just a few quick ways to, 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 to weigh your parents heavy, to value your parents, and then demonstrate their value by the things that you say and by the things that you do. First, include them. Proverbs 23, 22 says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. The point here is they're still a part of your life, even if they're old. So what does that mean? Well, share your dreams with them. Share your goals with them. Share your values with them and get their input. Now, that doesn't mean giving them control. It just means give weight, give value to their ideas and opinions. That doesn't mean they're always going to be right. It just means that they have a contribution to make to your life and the life of your family even when they get old. You know what? By the time I realized that my parents were right, I already had kids who thought I was wrong. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean they're always right, but they can still contribute even when they get old. So include them. Next, support boundaries with with your vision and, 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 and your values. You know, for the last couple of weeks, Mac has been talking about a family vision. And I, I don't want to go over that, but it is so important. A vision for your family is God's plan for your family based on the values that he has given you right here in his word. 
So if you have to set boundaries, and you know, boundaries, that's a big word in our world today. If you have to set boundaries for your parents or for your in-laws in order to pursue that vision or pursue those values, then share your vision, share your values, and then appeal to them to, to, to support these, this vision or, or these values by respecting the, the boundaries. Patsy and I, we had this happen just two or three weeks ago. Our newest little granddaughter, Addison, she's nine months old, and she was sitting in our living room, on our living room, had just gotten there, and I was on the floor with her, and, and, and I made some sarcastic comment, and, and which is not uncommon in our home. We use sarcasm a lot. And, uh, and so I made some sarcastic comment, and my son, my son heard it, and, and he said, Dad, we'd rather y'all not use sarcasm around Addison. And, and I, I, y'all would have been proud of me. I held it. I didn't say a word. Good thing. Because he came back and, and he said, you know, what we've learned is that our ki that kids can understand what we're saying a long time before we know they're understanding it. But one thing that they have a really hard time understanding is sarcasm. And we don't want Addison to think you're being critical. Wow, you see what he did? He shared the value not being critical and then he asked us to respect the boundary by not sharing by not being sarcastic and you know what he did in that whole process was just shut my mouth he he affirmed my worth in the process he said we don't want her to think you are critical now, that kept me from feeling like an absolute failure as a grandparent and a parent because he shared the vision and he shared the value and then he set the boundaries. So support your boundaries with, a, with your vision or your values. Next, affirm their accomplishments. Proverbs chapter 31, incredible chapter. It starts out by talking about an excellent wife, but it ends up by talking about a lady who is a super mom. And the last verse, the last verse of Proverbs 31 says, it says, reward her, this super mom, reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. You ever stop and think that maybe your parents' greatest accomplishment is you? You know, for most of us, many of the values that make us who we are were built into our lives by our parents. I want to read you a letter. It's a letter I sent to my mom. We, had, we called her Granny. It's dated May the 6th, 1992. It says, I was preparing my message for this Sunday, Mother's Day, and was reminded again what a wonderful pair of parents I have. There are so many positives in my life that if I were to try and trace their origin, I would have to go back lots of years. I was reading one of Swindoll's books, and, it, and, and in it he mentions the IOUs that kids build up for their mothers. I thought he had a good idea, so I just thought that I would let you know what I haven't, that I haven't forgotten the IOUs. I owe you for your time. I never remember you being too busy. 
You are always available to help me, take me, or bring me, whatever I forgot. I owe you for your example. You were a model of all the good qualities that I learned to look for in the girls I dated. I owe you for your support. There was never anything that you discouraged me from trying. I remember as a five-foot little fat boy, I even tried out for the ninth grade basketball team. It never dawned on me that I didn't have a chance to make it. I finally quit, not because I thought I wouldn't make the team, but because Mrs. Covington was really getting mad about having to compete for my time. She was my band director. I owe you for your humor. Let's face it. We had fun, and you were one of the instigators. How you managed to keep a cheerful face with some of the physical and emotional setbacks you endured is amazing. I owe you for your hospitality. My friends were always welcome, and our house is usually the place they ended up. I owe you for your flexibility. It's a good thing I can't remember all the times I forgot my lunch, my horn, or my homework, and you dropped whatever you were doing and brought it to me. I owe you for your sacrifices. You and Pa did without a lot of things so Joe and I could have things you wanted us to have. At the time, I didn't realize the sacrifices y'all were making. Now that I'm making some of the same sacrifice, I really appreciate the ones y'all made. I owe you for your faith. You weren't all that vocal about what you believed, but there was little doubt that your faith in Christ was very important to you. I owe you for your hope. You never told me that a 17-year-old kid can't make a bunch of tone-deaf, non-musical boys into a band. You didn't tell your 20-year-old love-struck son that marriage was beyond his reach. At about the same time, you didn't tell him that somebody who stutters can't be a preacher. I owe you for your love. There's a song that says, love knows when to let go, love knows when to say no. It's hard to say no, it's really hard to let go. Thanks, Mom. I'm glad I owe you. Happy Mother's Day. That's dated May the 6th, 1992. My mom went to be with the Lord in 2000 and 2008. This was found by, on the bedside table by her bed when my brother went to clean out her things. So she had it by her bed for 16 years. She never referred to it, but there's no telling how many times she read it because it affirmed her accomplishment, which was me. You know, a few weeks ago, there was a major tragedy at the school where my daughter Angie teaches little seventh grade girl took her own life and Angie had been a big part in this little girl's life the year before and so she was asked to speak at the memorial service the first day back to school after the tragedy Angie was supposed to teach her class of fifth graders but at the same time there was assembly going on for the middle schoolers classmates of this little girl and Angie also needed to be there now, she didn't want to ask a substitute to teach her class because she had no idea what kind of questions were going to come from the fifth graders. And she wanted somebody who would be able to respond to those questions. So she couldn't, so she couldn't ask a sub to do her class. But at the same time, she also had to be at this, at this assembly. And finally, she thought, Mom can do it. Now, Patsy, in this case, Patsy happens to be a substitute teacher at this school. She's also a teacher's aide. She teaches a Bible class there. So she came up to Patsy and she said, she said, Mom, would you teach my class on Monday? And Patsy said, sure, Angie, but what do you want me to do? And she said, Mom, I just want you to be me. Wow. 
in those, what's that, six words? She affirmed Patsy's greatest, one of Patsy's greatest accomplishments as a parent. She said, Mom, I am who I am because of you. I just be me. So affirm their accomplishments. And then finally, take responsibility for the physical and the emotional needs of aging parents. First Timothy chapter 5 says, But she, referring to a widow, if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. In other words, when your mom and your dad have to depend on you, don't let them down. So, as we pursue family harmony, as we promote the permanent, value the temporary. There's one more thing we need to do before we get to grandmother's house, and that is empty the trash. You see, there's no such thing as a perfect family. There's just different degrees of imperfection. Now, some of us grew up with deeply flawed parents from whom we're still trying to escape. But the past cannot be completely left behind if strings of bitterness still tie us to the past. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You see, you can only leave the past to the extent that you've forgiven those people who are part of the past. Now, forgiveness is not a feeling. It doesn't mean you have to trust somebody. John chapter 2 says Jesus didn't trust people, but he did forgive them. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us about forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4 says get rid of all bitterness, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The word forgive there is an accounting term. It's like forgiving a debt. Think of it as a, as a ledger with a line right down the middle. Okay, On one side are all of the things in our life that we've done that God has forgiven us. On the other side of that line, on the other side of the ledger, are all the things that people have done to us. So if I'm going to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven me, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to compare the things done on one side of the ledger with what God has forgiven me on the other side of the ledger. So I start on this side and I go line by line and I see what dad did and I tell God, God, because you forgave me, I forgive dad for doing this. I see what granddad did. And I say, God, because you forgave me, I forgive granddad for this. God, I see, I see what mom did. God, because mom did this, I forgive her for doing that because you forgave me for this. And then all the way down the list, line by line, forgive everyone because of what God in Christ has forgiven us. And then take it and throw it in the trash. And then empty the trash. Now does that mean you'll never remember it again? No, you will remember it. But you're going to remember it differently. Because now with every remembrance, with every memory of that offense, that wrong that was done to you, it doesn't come up as something you're holding on to that's tying you to the past. It comes up as a memory of something you've forgiven. You've forgiven it. You remember throwing it in the trash. And you can say, God, I thank you that I have forgiven that. 
You know, this whole leaving and cleaving thing, that also applies to our relationship with God. We leave what we were before Jesus in order to become one with Jesus. And you know what? The only reason we can become one with Jesus is because Jesus left heaven to become one with us. In a passage about marriage, listen to what Jesus said. Listen to what Ephesians says. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and without fault. Jesus left heaven with a purpose, to become one with us. But there's a problem. He is holy and clean and without a spot, without a wrinkle, without any other blemish, without any faults. And we're not like that. We're deceitful. We hurt people with our gossip and with our slander. We're devious sometimes. We lust and we lie and, we, and, 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 and we, we're selfish and we could go on and on and on and on and on. So before Jesus could become one with us, he had to give away his life in order to make us holy like he is holy, clean without a spot or a wrinkle, without any other blemish, without a single fault. And that's exactly what he did. Now I have a question. Have you become one with Jesus? You know, I want to go back before the creation of the world. The Father looks forward and he sees you. And he says, Son, do you take him to be your brother? And the son says, I do. And the father says, but look. Look at the deceit. Look at the selfishness. Look at all the people that he's going to hurt. And the son says, I know. And the father says, but don't you understand, you're going to have to give away your life in order to get rid of all that. Do you still take him to be your brother? And the son says, I do. And then the father looks and he sees you and he says, do you take her to be your sister? And the son says, I do. And the father says, but don't you see, look at... Look at the people she hurts, the gossip and the slander and the selfishness and the, and the anger and all of that. And the son says, I know. And the father says, but you're going to have to die to get rid of all that. And the son says, I know. And so the father says, do you still take her to be your sister? And the son says, I do. Now, have you ever said, I do to the father? When the father says, do you take my son to be your Lord and Savior? Have you ever said, I do? Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. If you have never said, I do, to the father, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. God the Father says, I sent my own son into the world to become one with you. 
to give his life away to make you holy, to make you clean without a spot or wrinkle and a blemish so that you could be one with him. Now, do you take my son to be your Lord and Savior? If you've never done that and you want to do that, then just do it right now. Just say, Father, I do take your son, Jesus Christ, to be my Savior. That's it. Father, I do take your son, Jesus Christ, to be my Savior and my Lord. That's it. If you just said that, for the very first time we want to give you something that will help you figure out what your next steps are after you have entered into that one relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so if you just said I do to the Father while everybody has your heads bowed would you just raise your hand we want to give you a gift raise your hand One of our ushers is going to pass a box by you, down to you. In that box is a Bible. In that box is a card for you to fill out and, and take to the blue tent outside or put in the offering basket when it comes by. That will give us a chance to connect with you. Keep your hands up until you receive that gift. That will give you an opportunity, give us an opportunity to connect with you about your next steps as a Christ follower. We have a tradition around here that when people begin a new relationship with Jesus Christ, we like to welcome you and the family by clapping. So we want to welcome you. We're glad you're with us.